You've tuned in to the Message to Kings podcast, where we tell the complete history. Balaam hobbled along, cursing his injured leg as he climbed the final reaches of Mount Peor. The air had changed, and it was colder at the top. He reached for his cloak and wrapped it tighter around him as he edged the path to the top of the mountain. He felt a gush of wind and ignored the pain in his crushed leg as he dragged it up and over the last rock edge to the summit. His bedraggled and exhausted face turned to terror as he topped the mountain and looked down upon the plains of Moab. He fell to his knees as he witnessed the camp of Israel. With the pillar of cloud hovering over the camp, he could see the camp of Israel arrayed in the order of their camps and their tribes in two lines, one longer than the other, crossing each other, forming a, uh, a cross. He breathed deeply, moved, prostrate on the ground, tears streaming down his face as he uttered the words of God. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. From this account, you would believe this prophecy was from a prophet of God, but it wasn't. It was a quote from a prophecy by Balaam, the son of Peor. The prophecy was taken from Numbers 24. This episode is the story of Balaam. Message to Kings podcast, episode 26, Balaam, part 1. Numbers 22. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw that the Israelites, what they had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Peor, who was at Pethor near the the river, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the land, and they have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed. The, older, the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee of divination. And when they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Isn't this strange? We go from the annihilation of two kingdoms to the story of a plot of another king to destroy Israel. So, who are these guys? King Balak was a usurper king of Moab. The word Balak actually means vain, and he was ruler of a group of people who were the descendants of Lot, who the Lord has not destroyed, who the Lord has commanded the Israelites to not destroy. God has spared the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, and the Moabites, the descendants of Lot. Balak is actually south of Israel to the southeast of the Dead Sea at the moment. The Midianites conspire with Moab. Remember the Midianites? Moses fled here from Egypt. So obviously Jethro and Zipporah, his wife, are not part of this plot. But maybe there is some connections at the end we'll discuss. 
Most likely, the Midianites are further south of the Moabites. Now, who is Balaam, the central figure of this podcast? Balaam is a bit of a mystery. There's almost three chapters of the Bible dedicated to telling his story. He's really not a minor figure. He shows up in many references in the New Testament and even in the book of Revelation. This guy in this story, though it seems really crazy, is very, very significant. I believe this story is in the Bible for many reasons, but one of the primary ones is that we must know our enemy. In this case, it would be wise to apply the words of Sun Tzu. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not to fear the result of a hundred battles. Few times does the face of an enemy have so much written about him, especially in the Bible. And for this reason, we're going to take a two-part podcast and talk about the life of Balaam. According to the Bible, he lived near the Euphrates River, and according to Josephus, he was the greatest prophet of his age. Now, this is a pretty flippant use of words. I'm going to be straight up. He wasn't a prophet of God. He didn't follow God. He was a diviner, a witch, or a sorcerer of very renowned status. He was very famous. People from all over the world paid him for his services. But despite being a diviner, chapters are taken up in the Bible of his conversations with and prophecies with God. Let's continue the account. When Balak's messengers arrive, God tells Balaam to not go with them. Balak, in turn, shows up with more men and more money and promises great rewards for Balaam to curse the Israelites. Balaam's response was Numbers twenty-two eighteen, But Balak answered them, Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight, as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. After more urging, Balaam agrees to go with the men, but God tells him he is only allowed to tell them what God says. This is God's specific urging, you may go, but only if you speak my words only. Let's be clear here, he originally asked God to go on the trip, God said no. When he was offered more money, he asked God again. God said, very well go, but only say what I say. And next, Balaam gets on his donkey with two servants and heads to Canaan. Now, this is where it gets really weird. And it says the Lord was furious with Balaam. So let's discuss this. Even though the Lord allowed him to go, it says the Lord was furious with him. See, God doesn't control people. That's against free will that he gave us. We're allowed to do as we please. God may have allowed him to go, but he preferred him to not go. For the consequences would be severe if he didn't speak God's word specifically. There is a clear difference here between being obedient and pursuing our will. When we fail to be obedient, we are out of God's will. Outside of God's will, we find ourselves outside of God's protection, which we will clearly see with Balaam. At this point, we arrive at one of the most bizarre stories in the Bible. As Balaam rode his donkey, only the donkey saw an angel standing in the road with the drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned off the road onto a field. In turn, Balaam beat his donkey, but ignored him as it approached a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. 
Then the angel, only visible to the donkey, appeared in the path, and the donkey pressed against the side of the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So Balaam continued to beat the donkey. Then the angel advanced, allowing no room to move either to the right or left. And when the donkey saw the angel, he laid down while Balaam beat the donkey. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. It said to Balaam, Why have you beaten me these three times? Balaam answered, You made a fool of me. The donkey answered, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Am I in a habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his drawn sword. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If you, if she had not turned away, I would have certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. All right, so we have to stop here. Why, you ask? Because we have to. A donkey just talked. If, if it wasn't in the Bible, I would not believe it. So let's pause. What is significant here? An angel showed up, and that's significant enough, but it was only visible to the donkey at first. A donkey saw the angel. A donkey talked. Balaam saw the angel. Balaam was rebuked by and given instructions by the angel of the Lord. It's very interesting that Balaam showed no restraint when his donkey talked to him, but he just talked back to him. How strange was this guy and his donkey? Did they have normal relations like this? Interesting that he said to his donkey, you made a fool of me. <laughs> really, Balaam? One could really investigate into this donkey bit, but biblically, the only times animals talked was the serpent in the garden and Balaam's donkey. There are no other accounts in the Bible of animals talking, only the account of the devil possessing the, a serpent and Balaam, a diviner, a witch, or a sorcerer, talking to his donkey. So we'll just leave the animal talk there. So, who was this angel? In the King James Bible, there's only three angels with names. Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. And none of the names show until later in our story after the Babylonian captivity. When angels show up, it makes me very curious. And I ask myself, which angel is this? Well, there's a clue here. Balaam bows down low. Angels never allow themselves to be worshipped. And at least the ones that are not fallen. We will see this multiple places, but when one bows down low and worships, especially one called the angel of the Lord, it could actually be God himself. In this case, it appears to be the pre-incarnate Christ again. Some say he showed up before at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Joshua later will encounter most likely this same angel of the Lord. And we'll talk more about this in a future episode. After the scene, Balaam arrives at the Arnon Gorge, and he must have been late, for Og and Sion are dead, and their kingdoms are now in Israel's hands. King Balak must have been freaking out. 
He mentions how Balaam was so late. Balaam's response was that he could only speak what God tells him. But most likely he was late because of his crushed leg or his beaten donkey was slowed down. Next, Balak threw a huge party and honored Balaam. Balak made many sacrifices. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal to look down upon the Israelites. And from this height, Balaam receives the first of four prophecies. He returned to Balak and tells the following prophecy. Numbers 23, 8. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them. From the heights I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and may my end be like theirs. So Balak wasn't very happy with this first prophecy. But once his anger subsides, he decides to take him up to try to curse Israel again. This time he takes him to Mount Pisgah. From here, Balaam returns with the following. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob, no misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. There is no sorcery against Jacob, no divination against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, See what God has done. The people will rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion that does not rest till he devours his prey and drinks the blood of its victims. Next they scale another mountain. Balak's pretty upset at this point, but he wants Israel cursed. Numbers 24. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to sorcery as at other times, but turned his face towards the desert. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamp tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came upon him and he uttered this oracle. The oracle of Balaam, son of Peor. The oracle of one whose eyes see clearly, the oracle of one whose words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel, like the valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters, water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations and break their bones in pieces. With their arrows, they pierce them. Like a lion, they crouch and lie down, like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed. May those who curse you be cursed. Now, this account's pretty fascinating because it says he didn't resort to divination or sorcery like he did at other times, but instead, the Spirit of God came upon him. This is where I got the account from the beginning with him lying down, crying, and prostrate. This is what makes Balaam so strange, how he could be a sorcerer one moment, but still be talking to God in such a manner. To choose from divination to prayer and supplication 
yet he found God so easily. This is where I want to part to talk about the spiritual concept of divination. In our modern vernacular, we're going to talk about witchcraft. Divination is defined as the attempt to gain insight into a question or situation by the way of the occult, an occultic process, or an occultic ritual. It is a tapping into the spiritual realm through dark methods. It is very spiritual in nature because it is tapping into the spirit realm. This was Balaam's trade. He tapped into the spirit realm. We talked about the invisible realm in one of our first podcasts. This is the place where angels and demons war for the souls of men. According to Balak, Balaam was able to bless, call upon God's favor, and his angels, not, not exactly, and he was able to curse, call upon demons from the dark realm to curse. Cursing would have been easy for him, for he res- corresponded with dark spirits through his magic arts. A curse would have been a simple thing for him, but he wasn't able to curse God's people. I really like Webster's definition of witchcraft. It really doesn't beat around the bush. Witchcraft is defined as the use of sorcery or witchcraft or communication with the devil or with the familiar. Well, that's pretty clear. As Christians, we are told to pursue spiritual gifts by Apostle Paul in the New Testament. This is the tapping into God's power through lawful spiritual means. Witchcraft is the opposite of these gifts. It is the unlawful, dark approach to these gifts. It is the tapping into dark power. Modern witchcraft has so many forms. Here are some forms that I've run across. Ouija boards, tarot cards, magic spells, fortune tellers, Wiccans, and the list goes on and on. All right, so this is where I want to tell a a personal story um, related to witchcraft. Many, many years ago, when we were young and foolish, we ran across a tarot card reader. And unknown to us, he was a high-up witch in unknown circles. We allowed him to give us his words over our life. We were very foolish, and we believed him. We even kept the words written on a sheet of paper and put them in a journal. He mixed truth in with his words to deceive us. He seemed to know the past, which is common, but only told us a negative future. We really believed his words for years until we wisened up. It was not until after the fact and many of the negative words actually came true that we were looking back upon his words. We realized every future word he gave us was negative, and there were the devil's plans for our life. And and after asking God to cancel these curses, we asked God to speak his life over our lives and replace the evil, dark words and plans of the enemy with truth, and we received life-building blessings over our lives. In summary, it's simply good versus evil. We cannot forget Jesus heals all sins and wounds of witchcraft, even deceptions by witchcraft. On the cross, he healed all sins. Acts of witchcraft are a sin. So back to the story. After this third prophecy, Balaam gets really angry and strikes his hands together and commands Balaam to go home. Balaam aggressively says he will go home, but responds to Balak almost like the Spirit of God was still upon him. And in his response is his fourth prophecy. 
It is to the it is in the right spirit and very prophetic and the source of the words from the beginning of the episode. And before we cover the final prophecy, it's interesting to note that God can talk through anyone and anything. And in this episode, we see God's sovereignty. He talked and spoke through a donkey and a sorcerer. God would later prophesy through Caiaphas, the evil high priest in Jesus' day, that Jesus would have to die on behalf of all of Israel. Here is Balaam's final prophecy, Numbers twenty-four fifteen. Then he uttered his oracle, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eyes see clearly, the oracle of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. I am utterly amazed at Balaam's words. I really like the poetry of what it says. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will rise out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. It is actually quite beautiful language. I see him, not now. I behold him, but not near. It's almost like Balaam is having a vision, and it even says it, a vision of the future. And check out the next words. A star will rise out of Jacob, a scepter out of Israel. It is quite profound. A star? What star? Well, there was a famous star that showed up near the birth of Jesus. Remember those wise men that came to visit Jesus with their three gifts? Where did they come from? It says they came from the east. Balaam was from the east, off the Euphrates rivers, much closer to Babylon. Traditional stories and legends point to the Magi being from Persia or Babylon and part of a religious ruling class, one that Daniel would one day be over in Babylon and later Esther and Mordecai. Other stories have the Magi dating their society and power back to its founder. Guess who that is? Balaam. So this prophecy, though most likely discounted by the people of Israel because of Balaam's dubious character, was kept for generations in Gentile kingdoms. Maybe even Balaam had additional insight passed on through other circles and the people who would one day we be known as the Magi, who will be watching for this fulfillment in the heavens. The tracking of this word and how it was kept for generations and later studied by astronomers is lost to history. But many, many believe that this is the actual star mentioned by Balaam. The next part, a scepter out of Israel, clearly alludes to a king. There was no kingdom at this time. There would be no kingdom, or at least a king over Israel, for another 400 years. A king who would one day rule Israel would be David and or it could apply to Jesus in his second return. Balaam is clearly hearing from God and speaking his word. Balaam goes on and prophesies doom over Israel's enemies. So this is where I'm going to do what the Bible does and drop off the account of Balaam. To the casual reader, you would probably think Balaam was a reformer or a repented sorcerer. Well, honestly, I wish it was the case, 
because at this point, I kind of like the guy. After all, what did he say? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will rise out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. It, it is fantastic. But his true character will come out in the next podcast. Next week, we'll conclude Balaam and what happens in his age when sorcerers are out of God's will and disobey God. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I'd like to get back to the concept of witchcraft. We talked about prophecy in the Abraham episode. Now we're talking about the opposite. There is little room for gray. Through prophecy, we can reach for heavenly sight, the mind of Christ and eyes to see and ears to hear. This we will try to cover in much more depth when we arrive at the prophets. Through witchcraft, people dabble in the demonic. Unknowingly, people open doors for demonic influence in their lives. Whether it be Ouija boards, tarot cards, or pagan practices, these practices may lead to spiritual sight, but it's never good. It may even reveal current or previous events very accurately, but these are only the past. Darkness is not above time and space, and it does not know the future. It only wants to destroy your future. The devil's assignment is clear, to kill, steal, and destroy. We can only attain our true and full potential with Jesus Christ and God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. For only the one above time and space can look down upon us and give us insight and dreams of the heart to attain to the fullness God has planned for us. If you have been harmed by witchcraft or participated in any kind, or if you even wonder if you have participated in witchcraft unknowingly, ask God to reveal it to you. And once you are aware of these times of sin, repent of them and release these moments to God for Him to redeem and ask Him to replace those dark plans and hurts and sins with truth and with destiny over your life. Then wait and watch what happens and how he answers your prayer in time. For now you have called upon the only one who can help you to fulfill those plans over your life. I'm going to end this podcast with a very famous verse. And it was written after one of the darkest times in Israel's history. After the destruction of the first temple and siege and destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah proclaimed this prophecy. Jeremiah 29.11 For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is God's will for your life and no other. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Special thanks to John Laster for the art cover for this episode. I'll put a link on the Facebook page of his other work. Stay tuned next week as we conclude the story of Balaam. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.